Hey doll. Hey doll. I'm your host Paula. And I'm your other host Cynthia. And we are Dolls, Dolls and, and Doom. Doom. Okay so I have a really interesting missing persons case today Paula. Oh my goodness. Imagine going missing right before life as all of the Americans know it changes forever. Imagine going missing in New York the day before 9-11. Oh my gosh. Well, that may be exactly what happened to the woman I'm going to tell you about today. We're going to talk about Sneha and Philip. So Sneha and Philip was born on October 7th, a Libra, 1969. She was born in the Indian state of Kerala and moved with her parents to upstate New York when she was just a child. Now, when she was older, she graduated from John Hopkins University and decided to pursue a career in medicine. She enrolled in the Chicago School of Medicine in 1995, and it was there that she met a man named Ron Lieberman, a fellow medical student who was a year behind her in the studies. The two began dating, and Sneha was so smitten with this man that she decided to take a year off of her studies and spend that year traveling around Italy so that she could graduate at the same time as Ron. That sounds amazing. I know, right? Oh my gosh, yes please. She apparently like was in Florence and like studied art and she painted because even though she was going into a career in medicine, she was an artist at heart. She loved all things artistic and painting. Awesome. Yeah, she seems like a really cool girl. Well, hello, Libra. I I know, right? <laughs> My sister's a Libra. Super, super cool. And I'm a Libra. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Paula. <laughs> That's right. Who's that? Okay, so after they both graduated, they moved to New York City, where they began medical internships. Ron was at Jacoby Medical Center, and Sneha worked at Cabrini Medical Center. The couple married in May 2000 in a beautiful ceremony where they combined Jewish and Indian Christian elements to honor both of their faiths. And after they were married, they moved to an apartment in Battery Park City, just a couple of blocks from the World Trade Center. On September 10, 2001, 31-year-old Sneha had the day off of work. And according to Ron, who left for work at around 11 a.m. that morning, Sneha was planning on spending the day doing chores around the apartment and cleaning the place up because they were planning on having her cousin over for dinner in a couple of days. So Sneha cleaned the apartment and she repotted some new orchids that had just been shipped to her from Hawaii and she was really excited to get those. She'd been waiting on them for a while. And when she was finished repotting them, she left the plants in the bathtub so that the water could drain out of them before they went to live wherever they were going to you know, be homed in her apartment. And around 2 p.m., Sneha sent her mother an instant message on the computer, and they ended up chatting for about two hours. And during this chat, the two women talked about all kinds of things, including a recent night out that Sneha and Ron had shared and what their upcoming plans for the week were. And during this conversation, Sneha mentioned that she was planning to visit the Windows of the World restaurant, which was this restaurant on top of the nearby north tower of the world trade center and when i say nearby i mean it was like 900 feet away the world trade center yeah so really nearby really 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 close okay and she was gonna visit this restaurant because she had a friend who was planning on being married there that following spring 
Now, she didn't tell her mother when specifically she was planning on going to this restaurant. And at the time, it seemed like it could have just been like something she was hoping to do sometime in the upcoming weeks or months. But looking back later, Sneha's mother wondered if perhaps she'd planned on going in the next couple of days, which, once we know what happened, is a pretty scary thought. So at about 4 p.m. on September 10th, Sneha signed off the computer, she left her apartment, and she dropped off some clothes at the dry cleaners before heading over to a store called Century 21. Now, here in Florida, Century 21 is a real estate office. Yes, it is. But apparently in New York, it's like this giant, and I mean giant, like six-story huge warehouse of high-end designer clothing and and linens and stuff like that that you can get discounted. Oh, cool. I know. I'm jealous that we don't have one here. I know. Seriously. So shortly after 6 p.m., Sneha used her husband's American Express card to buy lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, and bed linens. And after this purchase, she visited the store's annex and bought three pairs of shoes. And, like, this total purchase was over $500. So it wasn't just, like, a teeny tiny little purchase. She spent a little bit of money there. Yeah. Now, this store also was just a couple of blocks from the World Trade Center. And it was actually past the World Trade Center. So to get home, she would have needed to walk past the World Trade Center. Okay, gotcha. The last confirmed record of Sneha anywhere was at this Century 21 store. That evening, after his shift at the hospital, Ron came home to their apartment and it was after midnight, but Sneha wasn't home. Now this actually didn't ring any alarm bells for Ron. He said he just assumed that she'd stayed out late or she was staying with a friend. Apparently like this was a thing that she did. She'd like go out and party and maybe stay with her brother or stay with a girlfriend, whatever. It wasn't unusual for her not to come home. It was a little unusual, though, that she didn't call him and let him know that she was planning on staying out. So he made a point of thinking to himself that when she did come home the next day, he needed to remind her that she needed to give him a heads up in the future. Now, Ron had a pretty early meeting the next morning, so he decided that he was just going to go ahead and go to bed. According to phone records, at 4 o'clock that morning, someone called Ron's cell phone from Ron and Sneha's apartment. Now, Ron says he has no memory of making this phone call, but he did say that he probably had woken up in the middle of the night and used the apartment line to check his cell phone voicemails, thinking that maybe Sneha might have called him and left him a message. And for those of you who maybe weren't around back in 2001, that's what you did. You would often use like a landline to call your cell phone to check the voicemails. That is not unusual. Right. Totally normal. So that morning, September 11th, 2001, Ron got up for work at around 630 and Sneha had still not come home. Now at this point, he was pretty irritated, but still he wasn't completely concerned And apparently on nights when Sneha did stay out, she would tend to come back to the apartment between like the 7 and 9 o'clock hour. So it wasn't totally unusual that at 6.30 in the morning, she still wasn't home. So Ron went ahead and went to his meeting at the hospital. And that meeting started at 8. And when it ended around 9, he saw a group of his co-workers huddled around a TV. So he went over to see what was going on, what it was that had their attention. And that is when he learned that a plane had struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Now, Ron immediately called Sneha. But remember, from the moment this first plane hit, 
there was just complete chaos. Cell phone towers were destroyed. The phone lines that were still working were overloaded by thousands of people who were making calls for help or to check in on their loved ones. The air was filled with ash. Vehicles were stopped on the streets wherever they were when the plane crashed. Getting home or getting anywhere would seem impossible because of the debris and literally hundreds of thousands of people. People were completely panicked. Some people were frozen in shock. I remember being at work in Florida. We had no idea what was going on. Right. At first it seemed like an accident, and then it obviously wasn't an accident. It it was just, it was like the world was ending almost. Right. Pure chaos. Some of these victims who'd been trapped on the upper floors of the towers were literally holding hands with strangers and jumping from the buildings to escape the heat or being crushed from falling debris. I just cannot even begin to imagine what these people were experiencing. I don't, now that I'm older, it hits me so much harder. I was 19 when it happened. Okay. This must have been hell. Where were you? Do you remember where you were? I was at home. I, it was my day off, and a friend of mine and I were going to go out to lunch and just go shopping, and I was listening to music. I didn't have the TV on. And he called and said, you know, I don't think we're going to hang out today. And I said, why? And he said, you know, have you turned on the TV? And I said, no. He's like, turn on the TV. I don't think we need to go out today. And I turned on the TV and just sat there with my jaw on the floor. It was just surreal. It, it was surreal. My best friend was a flight attendant for United. The United flight that went down was one of her routes that she often took. Oh, my God. We were calling her. Yeah. Couldn't reach her. She was in the air. I was calling her parents. Finally, we found out she was okay. Okay, good. It was just insanity. Yeah. It really was. I think I've mentioned before that my father was a chaplain for the federal government, and he actually went up to Ground Zero two weeks after the attack. The ground was still burning. Oh it was gosh. still burning two, two weeks, weeks later. later. Yes. Wow. He literally had to come home every day and get in the shower with his clothes on. And at the end of the trip, he left everything there. Mm -hmm. Everything. Everything was just completely covered in soot and ash. And, you know, with his own hands, he helped recover everything from items that were in the building to human remains. Wow. And as a chaplain, he was able to counsel the first responders who'd been, you know, working in this environment. I mean, I can just tell you, it was hell. It was bad. In these hours after the attack, Ron is desperately trying to reach Sneha. But he can't get through to her. And he was finally able to get in contact with her family. And his heart really sunk when he was able to reach them because they hadn't spoken to her either. So Ron was able to use his medical credentials to catch a ride on an ambulance to his apartment. And this ride took over six hours because of the hundreds of thousands of people who were trying to get out of Manhattan. And when Ron finally made it to their apartment, the electricity in the building was out. And so he couldn't get in because these doors had these automatic locks. Oh, yeah. And they wouldn't open without electricity. Oh, that's awful. Can you imagine? After six hours and you still can't get in. Oh, my gosh. It's, it gives me anxiety to even begin to put myself in these situations. Yeah. This is just one story. Right. So Ron was finally so close, yet so far away. He started running around the building yelling for his wife and finally one of the neighbors heard him and the neighbor knocked on their apartment door in hopes that Sneha would answer, but she didn't. No one answered. So poor Ron spent that obviously sleepless night at a nearby friend's house and the next morning he was able to get into the apartment building finally and when he opened his front door, gray soot, ash, and debris was everywhere. 
A window had been left open and the inside of his apartment was covered in dust and debris. It was literally on every single surface. Oh my gosh. There were footprints all over the apartment from the couple's two kittens. There were no human prints. There was nothing anywhere. He didn't know to look for it at the time. But later, it would also become important to note that there was no Century 21 bag. Now, at this point, Ron was positive that Sneha had never made it home after staying out all night on September 10th. So he reported her missing. He and the rest of her family had flyers posted all over the city. But there were thousands of missing persons flyers posted everywhere. And because the last time Sneha was seen was actually on September 10th, the New York Police Department did not put her in the same category as they did the rest of the 9-11 victims. It's terrible, but I completely understand why. Right, I do too. And I can't even begin to imagine how overwhelmed they were. Oh, yeah. Ron and Sneha's family almost immediately felt like her case wasn't getting the same kind of attention that the other known victims of the attack were. So her brother decided that in an attempt to try to garner more attention for his sister, he was going to tell the authorities that he had spoken to her on September 11th. So he actually told reporters that, quote, I was on the phone with her and she told me she couldn't leave because people were hurt. She said, I have to help this person. And that's the last thing I heard from her, end quote. But Paula, this wasn't true. He made it up so that people would pay attention to her case. Which ended up coming back and, like, really hurting her case. He did later admit that he'd made this interaction up. But once you lie to the police, they look at you as a liar. Right. And I really feel like in in Snail's case, this really might have caused more harm than it did good. Just because you're also, like, building the investigation on a lie. You're telling them that you talked to her on this day and that she was here when in reality you don't know that she was. So you're telling them to look in a place that we don't really know that she was. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's mixing up the facts. And then how are they going to trust anything else you say after that? Exactly. He had good intentions, of course. And I cannot even begin to imagine how frustrating it must feel to feel like your loved one isn't getting the same kind of attention because they went missing the day before. In this case, it just, it kind of bit him a little bit later on. Even though the police aren't necessarily as helpful as her family would like for them to be. Ron was doing everything he could to try to find her on his own. So Ron called American Express, and when he learned where Sneha had been on September 10th, he posted missing person flyers in other Century 21 stores around the city. And this actually proved to be a really good idea because later that week, an employee who'd been working as a clerk from the lower Manhattan store, but had recently been transferred to a different location called to say that she remembered seeing Sneha on September 10th. And she knew that it was Sneha because she was a regular customer. This clerk remembered that on this particular day, when she was in the store, it appeared that Sneha may not have been alone. The clerk actually thought she saw her hanging out and talking to another woman who also could have been Indian. Now, Ron obtained the security footage from Century 21, and he was able to find images of his wife, but he was not able to confirm that she was actually shopping with anyone else. Now, because of these new leads, and because he didn't feel like the New York Police Department was really giving his wife's case the attention it needed, Ron ended up hiring a private investigator named Ken Gallant. And Ken was able to actually find some stuff, but unfortunately... What he found may bring up more questions than answers. 
So, Cynthia, I know technically we're still in the middle of summer, but true Halloween fans know it's time to start thinking about our favorite time of year. That's right, you're reading my mind. It is never too early to plan your Halloween costume. And this year, I'm going to be using McCabe's costumes for all of my costuming needs. Yes, they're the best. They're a family-owned company, which is amazing because I love to support other small businesses. Me too. And they have high-quality costumes that ship right to your door. You know what else is great about McCabe's costumes? Not only do they have an amazing costume selection, they also carry super fun leggings, which is perfect because a lot of us are still working from home and we just want to feel comfortable, right? That's right. I love wearing cute leggings around the house or in the recording studio because not only am I super comfy, but I also really look cute. And McCabe's carries leggings with all kinds of super fun prints. I especially like the Hocus Pocus print, which has these adorable vintage style witches and pumpkins and ghosts all over them. That print totally has this Dolls and Doom retro vibe that you and I love. Yes, and the best part is you can do all of your shopping online and have your costume or comfy festive clothing and accessories delivered right to your door. Girl, you gotta love that. After this last year, I want everything delivered right to my front door. I know, me too. And right now, McCabe's is running a special offer for Dolls and Doom listeners. Just use the code DOLLS10 for 10% off your purchase. McCabe's Costumes also offers free shipping on orders over $35. Polly, you know what I love most about McCabe's Costumes? They actually give back to the community. They donate costumes to kids in need who would otherwise not have access to one. And if you, our listener, would like to participate in this awesome cause, you can make a donation directly on the website. Just hit the donate button right on the homepage and you can donate $30, which McCabe's costumes will then match. They match every single donation received. So with your $30 donation, two kids who would not have access to a costume will get one. And this year McCabe's also supported autism causes and their local Shriners Club. I love this so much. Not only are you buying something amazing for yourself, but you are giving back. What other costume shop does that? Exactly. So shop for your costumes or festive wear at McCabe's Costumes and feel good about making the world a happier place at the same time. Go right now and get your Halloween costume, festival wear, or comfy leggings at McCabe'sCostumes.com. That's M-C-C-A-B-E-S Costumes.com. So Ken found surveillance footage from the security cameras in Ron and Sneha's apartment lobby. On this footage, on September 11th, right at the 8.43 a.m. timestamp, three minutes before American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower, a woman is seen entering the apartment building and waiting by the elevator. She waits there for a couple of minutes and then walks out the front door of the apartment building and she's never seen returning again before the building ultimately loses power. Now, unfortunately, the sunlight was shining in the lobby in just a way that caused a glare. And so with the position of the camera and the light, the way it's coming in, the details of this woman are completely obscured and all you can see is her silhouette. 
but her hair and her dress were consistent with what Snail was wearing in the Century 21 footage from the day before. Her family looked at this footage and they believe that this woman is using mannerisms and body language that matched Sneha's. However, this woman is not carrying any bags. And if this is Sneha, we believe that this would be the first time she would have returned to her apartment since making all of those purchases the day before. So where are those bags? Now remember, Ron did say that when Sneha would stay out, she would usually come back between the 7 and 9 a.m. hours. So this timeline does fit. And if this woman is Sneha, she could have come in the building and waited by the elevator and then heard the commotion of the first plane hitting the tower. This could explain why she would have walked back outside. And remember, she's a physician, so it's very possible that she could have run towards the tower in an effort to put her medical training to use. At the tower, she could have been killed. That's exactly what I was thinking, that she was running towards people to help them. I assume been almost instinctual. Right. Now, if this woman was not Sneha, why has this woman never come forward to say, hey, that's me, unless that woman, whoever it may have been, didn't make it out of the attacks alive, which again is very possible. I mean, we're talking 900 feet away from the destruction. Yeah, Yeah. it's very possible. The big question is, where are the bags? If this person was holding two bags, it would be like, okay, there she is. That's what happened. Case closed. But these bags, they really hold probably a lot more answers than we realize. So some people speculate that because of what she purchased, lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, bed linens, perhaps these items were things she purchased to use with a lover. And maybe she left the bags with this other person, wherever they may have been probably the night before. Okay. So to go along with this idea that Sneha may have had an entire hidden life, because we're talking an affair now. Right. Gallant did consider the fact that Snea may have used this terrorist attack to flee her life in New York and start living under a new identity. However, there really was no evidence to support this. Sneha's computer hard drive was searched. There were no searches for any places to live or any kind of tips on how to disappear or any evidence that she may have been making these plans. Her glasses, passport, driver's license, and credit cards all except for the ones she used shopping that day, were all left behind. And Ron actually kept that credit card line open just in case it was ever used again, but it wasn't. I personally have a bit of a hard time with the whole escaping her life theory, just because Sneha was super close to her family and especially her mother. I mean, she literally just had a two-hour chat with her mom. I just, I kind of have a hard time believing she could have just walked away. I agree. When the New York Police Department was able to devote more time to Sneha's disappearance, they came to the conclusion that Sneha was either not in the area at the time of the attacks or she was already dead when the towers fell. And they had some very interesting reasons for thinking this. Just a few months earlier, Cabrini Medical Center chose not to renew Sneha's contract with them, citing repeated tardiness and alcohol-related issues. So effectively, she was fired. Wow. And soon after this happened, Snea went out to a bar with some of her previous co-workers. And she ended up reporting to police that one of her fellow interns, a man, groped her while they were out. 
However, this prosecutor who investigated the case did not believe that Sneha was telling the truth. And they actually dropped the charges against the other intern. And instead, they charged Sneha with third degree falsely reporting an incident and she was arrested. Now, the officer gave Sneha an opportunity to recant her complaint with the understanding that if she did, all of the charges against her would be dropped. But she absolutely refused. So the charges stayed and she actually ended up spending a night in jail. Okay. So we've already established she enjoyed going out and spending time with her friends. But it was around this same time that Sneha started spending her evenings out at gay and lesbian bars, some of which were known for attracting a bit of a rough crowd. And sometimes Sneha would leave with women that she met at these bars and go home with them. The New York Police Department also stated that during this time, Sneha's own brother discovered Sneha and his then-girlfriend having sex with each other. She's not turning out to be the girl that I thought she was. I'm going to give you a little more info on that in a minute. But first, let me tell you that after losing her previous internship, Sneha was offered another job in internal medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center on Staten Island. But apparently, she was having similar problems there also. She'd already been suspended for missing a meeting with a substance abuse counselor, which which was one of the requirements for her to work there after her previous, you know, internship didn't renew her. And this suspension is actually why Sneha was not working on September 10th or September 11th. Okay. Now, on the morning of September 10th, 2001, before cleaning her apartment or chatting with her mom, Sneha had actually been in court as she was being formally arraigned on that criminal charge of falsely reporting. And during this hearing, she pled not guilty. But according to the New York police records, after this arraignment, Sneha and Ron fought loudly at the courthouse. And witnesses said that they were fighting about the fact that Sneha had been drinking and partying and staying out all night. And according to these witnesses, this argument ended with Sneha walking away and Ron saying he was leaving to go home and get ready for work. Okay, so Ron and Sneha's family say that a lot of what the New York Police Department has come up with in this investigation is just an outright lie. Completely false. So first they said that Sneha was not fired for being tardy and abusing alcohol, but that she was actually dismissed as a whistleblower who complained about racial and sexual bias in the workplace. And the hospital responded saying it had no evidence of any formal complaints by her, but her family and loved ones go back and say it probably boiled down to that attack that she accused this other co-worker of attacking her and that she ultimately got fired for it. Now, Ron did admit that Sneha liked to hang out in lesbian bars, but he said that she was so upset by what happened with that male intern that she felt safer in lesbian bars and she was just more comfortable with women than she was in a more co-ed environment. He said that she never had sex with any of the women she went home with, that they would just listen to music or paint or sleep. He said that one time she came home covered in paint after she'd gone home with an artist And Ron said that her drinking phase was just temporary to help her through the depression she was feeling after being fired unfairly. If I go out dancing, I'd much prefer to go out dancing with girls. Me too. I used to hate it when I'd go dancing and like within five minutes some guy is trying to dance on you. Yes. So I get that. I don't know about going home with women that she just met though. Yeah. To go home with a random woman you just met at the lesbian bar. Right. If you're going home with a lesbian you just met at the lesbian bar. At the very least, I can see that being like, what is the other person thinking? Exactly. That was a little like, hmm, to me. 
Yeah. If you're drinking wine and painting, that could seem romantic. Right. You know. That could seem very sexy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially yeah. to uninhibited artists. Right. I mean, this is like a movie. Yes. <laughs> Well, typically the Indian culture is very conservative when it comes to sexuality. And I'm not speaking for Sneha's family because, I don't know, they may have been totally open. I really don't know. But in general, it's not really considered an acceptable lifestyle. So I can see where a woman who may have been questioning her sexuality may have struggled with coming out. And I guess that could explain the Century 21 bag being missing if it was in the apartment with whoever she was with the night before. Right, that makes sense. That, for me, is the only way I can see her actually having left on her own. Yes, I agree. Okay, so as for that report of Sneha having sex with her brother's girlfriend, Sneha's brother said that was completely made up. He says absolutely not true. Okay. He said he'd never even spoken to the detective who wrote that report, and he has no idea where that claim came from. Why would you make something like that up? Seriously. But why would you tell police that and then turn around and deny it? Neither one of those makes sense. Now, Ron said that there was also never any altercation at the courthouse after Snea's arraignment, and that the New York Police Department fabricated a lot of their findings. But again, why? Like, wouldn't it have just been easier to say that she died during the attacks? That would have been so much easier. Instead, they spent so much time working on this investigation, and when they finally came to a conclusion, it just ticked everybody off. Nobody liked this conclusion. I don't know what the motive is for the police to lie about this. It seems like they're making it harder on themselves. Right, on everybody. Well, Ron and the rest of Sneha's family have an inkling. They feel like maybe the police were trying to make up for their early inattention to the case by following through on their initial findings, maybe, that Sneha was not a victim of the terrorist attacks. We said it wasn't related, and so we're going to stick to it kind of thing. Right. Maybe. And then, you know, there's also this fact that Snea's brother lied to the police. I don't feel like that's going to help authorities get to the truth of what happened. But I don't know why her family would say it's not true if it was. Because that's not helping either. Exactly. Which I would think would trump whatever personal opinions you may have about what she's been doing. Right. Some people speculate that Ron actually killed Sneha after this argument at the courthouse and that that 4 a.m. phone call on September 11th to Ron's cell phone confirms this theory. So this theory suggests that perhaps Ron didn't stay home that night, but instead he went out presumably looking for her. And while he was out, Sneha came home, saw that Ron was out, and then called him from the house. And this theory goes on that he then came home, their fight from the courthouse continued, and eventually he killed Sneha. I have a question. Okay. Is there surveillance video inside the apartment, like at least in the hallways? I don't know if it's like throughout, but we know it's there where the elevator is because that woman was caught, which is why I think this is complete and utter ridiculousness because they would have caught her coming home. Right. Therefore, she wouldn't have been missing and they would have seen him leave if that's what he did. So it's a theory, but there's no... No proof to it. And none of her family or loved ones were ever even a person of interest. They've all been dismissed as people of interest or suspects. There's no, nothing that makes anybody think there's any kind of foul play. Foul play there, except for Armchair Sleuth. Okay. Who came up with this theory. But, you know, I thought it was worth mentioning. I also think if he did kill her, he would have had just over four hours from the moment that his cell phone rang 
to when the towers fell. Less right. than five hours. He's going to come home, fight with her, kill her, hide her, clean the house, do all this, get to his meeting. In four hours? I don't think so. Right. I can see where some people might come up with this theory, but when you when you really think about it in the details, I don't think it holds any weight. We also need to remember that Ron took a month off of work to search for his wife. He hired a private investigator, and after moving out of the apartment that he and his wife shared, he then stayed with Sneha's family. None of that is the behavior of a guilty man, in my opinion. 100%. So in 2003, Ron filed a court petition in New York County, surrogate's court, to have his wife declared a victim of the 9-11 attacks. And he also filed a claim with the Victim Compensation Fund. Now, given Sneha's age and future earning potential, Ron should have received between 3 and $4 million. Ron told the courts that because she was a doctor, she would have run to the nearby World Trade Center to offer aid to the victims. And Sneha's mother remembered that conversation with her daughter, where Sneha said she was going to visit the windows of the world and do some shopping at the Trade Center's mall. But Judge Renee Roth ruled that it could not be proven that Sneha had died on September 11th, since the last time she was actually seen was on September 10th. And so September 10th, 2004, three years to the day she went missing, was declared her legal death date per New York state law. In his ruling, Judge Roth suggested that Sneha may have intentionally disappeared or been murdered. Now to understand this ruling, we do have to look at the facts. There was no physical evidence that suggested that Sneha was killed in the 9-11 attack. Approximately 60% of the victims from the World Trade Center had been identified by 2019 through DNA testing of remains or by identifying jewelry or other items found at the scene. But Sneha's DNA has never been found and none of her jewelry has ever been located in the rubble. But let's stop for a minute. Only 60% of the victims have ever been positively identified. Literally thousands of people were just lost. Their families have nothing. That's so sad. So in addition to this lack of physical evidence, there really was no proof that Sneha was ever in the vicinity of the World Trade Center on the day of the attacks. It could not be confirmed that the woman in the apartment building footage was her, and if it wasn't her, then she really may not have been anywhere near the Twin Towers. Dissenting Judge Bernard Malone Jr. said, quote, Since it is not known where the decedent spent the night of September 10th, it requires speculation to say that her route home took her across or dangerously near the World Trade Center grounds, or that 8.48 a.m., when the attacks began, she was even in the vicinity of the World Trade Center, end quote. Now, since Ron could not provide a death certificate with September 11, 2001 on it as the date of death, the Victim Compensation Fund denied his claim. Her family appealed these rulings, and they compared her case to other similar cases. On January 31, 2008, a five-judge panel reversed Judge Roth's decision and ruled that Sneha died trying to help people at the World Trade Center. They believed it was highly likely that Sneha died at ground zero, and if she had died any other way, her body would have turned up. Sneha was officially declared the 2,751st victim of the Twin Towers collapse. This decision leaves only one missing person whose possible death at the World Trade Center is unresolved. She wasn't the only one. There were several people who went missing around this time that couldn't be linked to the terrorist attack. 
Since the Victims Fund paid all of its payments and closed in 2003, Ron will not receive any money. However, Sneha's name was added to the official memorial to the victims. Her family buried an urn full of ashes from Ground Zero at a cemetery near their home. No physical remains have ever been found for over a thousand victims of the attacks at the World Trade Center, but Sneha's family is hoping that eventually some of the jewelry she was believed to have been wearing at the time of the attacks will be recovered and matched to the photos her family provided. At the National September 11th Memorial, Sneha Ann Phillip is memorialized at the South Pool on panel S66. Sneha was 5'6", 115 pounds, and had a mole on her left cheek. She was last seen wearing a short-sleeved brown shirt dress with buttons down the front. She was wearing sandals and a black and gold beaded necklace with a cross pendant. She also typically wore a gold solitaire diamond engagement ring and a gold wedding band with small inset diamonds and flower-shaped diamond stud earrings. Now, Paula, I'm going to leave you with one last little thought. Have you ever heard of the website called Post Secret? No. Okay, so Post Secret is this site where you can mail in your deepest, darkest secrets, and they'll be posted anonymously. And people do this all over. Well, there was a postcard sent to this site And on it is what looks like a black and white or like sepia sketch of the Twin Towers burning. And above the picture are the words, quote, everyone who knew me before 9-11 believes I'm dead, end quote. Many people think this postcard is from Sneha. It could be a hoax. It could be somebody else. Just because they weren't considered missing person doesn't mean that some of the people who are believed to have been victims of the attacks didn't choose to leave voluntarily. Right. It's extreme to leave your whole family. Leaving a bad marriage, okay. If it was just the husband, then I would say, okay, maybe. Right. The other thing is people are like, oh, well, she saw the towers burning and she knew that, like, this was her chance. I just have a hard time imagining myself in the middle of all that trauma being like, this is my chance. Even if I was looking for a way to leave, the world feels like it's ending in front of you, around you. And you're going to be like quick-minded enough to be like, I got to go. I got to go now. Right. I think she probably died a hero helping. I think that probably was her on the footage at the apartment building the morning of. I think wherever she stayed the night before, whether it was with a lover or a friend or whatever, she probably just left the bags. Who knows? If they were out drinking the night before, maybe she was like hungover and the last thing she wanted to do was carry these bags home. I'll get them later. I don't know. I think ultimately she probably died helping. That makes the most sense to me. So Paula, we have a little time to kill. You got something for our time to kill segment? I do have a really weird story. Oh, okay. Okay, so I heard a crazy story on the radio a few days ago. In Arizona, in the Mariposa County Sheriff's Office, they got a strange call. The South Mountain Mortuary reported a van stolen with two dead bodies inside. Oh my gosh. Ooh, got chills. <laughs> so the bodies were about to be transported to the crematorium when the driver of the van got out to run back inside the building to get something. He left the keys inside the van and it was running. When he came back, the van was gone. Luckily, the van was found a short time later in the parking lot of a nearby park. The thief was found with the keys, which he claimed he found on the ground, and five fentanyl pills 
in his pocket. And you know what those are, the Michael Jackson drug. Okay. Okay. So he was booked with theft, improper removal of a dead body, and narcotics possession. Now, I know what you're going to ask. Do you think he knew there were dead bodies in the van? That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> right? Or did he find them, and that's why he got out of that van? It's very possible. <laughs> Since he stole a van from a mortuary, the odds are pretty high that there would be dead bodies inside. Plus, it wasn't a car. It's a van, so you can fit dead bodies inside. Right. I kind of feel like... A vehicle big enough to transport bodies, and since he didn't go very far, I feel like he did see what was in the van and maybe got wigged out, and that's why he parked so close to the mortuary. And maybe he was looking for a different car to steal. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, he sees this, oh, perfect opportunity, and then, like, starts putting two and two together, looks, yeah. looks in the back seat. He's like, whoa. Oh, no. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> pull this thing over and get Out of here. a different vehicle to steal. Yeah. I just thought that was a weird story. That is a weird story. <laughs> well, I'm glad they found the van. I'm glad they found the, the bodies. Yeah. those family members would be pretty upset. Sorry about your two loved ones, but they just went MIA. The heat. It's the heat in Arizona. It's, the heat, yeah. <laughs> it's hot. Yeah. But you know what? It's more comfortable because they don't have this humidity. True, but it's uncomfortable just in a different way. It's it's like when you get in the car and you just sit there. It feels like you're in an oven. You're baking. Is it like a sauna? Because I've only been there to visit a couple times, like so for a week at a time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, my hair still looks good. And yeah. is it like a sauna? Like that dry? Yes. It sucks the breath out of you. Yeah. Whereas here, you just literally walk outside and within just a minute, dripping. yeah, you are literally dripping with wet and just feel gross. Yeah, you it's just, like a layer it's of... heavy. So gross. Yeah. But then the minute the sun goes down, it gets chilly. You need a sweater. My dear friend lives there and it's like 110 during the day and yep. 60 at night. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening to us. We sure do appreciate it. We would love it if you would leave us a comment, a rating. We appreciate any constructive criticism. Paula and I are real good buds. And we love that that is coming across yeah. in our show. And we love that. And that's why we wanted to do this together. I feel like we're real kindred spirits. And Definitely. Please leave us comments and ratings and all of that. It really helps get us out in front of other listeners. And hit like and subscribe and tell a friend and all that jazz. All right. Well, we hope to bring you a new episode every week. And stay tuned. We've been working on a new project. Something kind of fun. Something kind of cute. Spooky. A little ski. So stay tuned. We're bringing you some brand new content. And it may not be what you're expecting. That's right. You never can tell with us. <laughs> That's right. Well, I will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.